Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to a hauntingly good episode, entirely dedicated to the 1982 confirmed classic, Poltergeist. Produced by Steven Spielberg and directed by Toby Hooper, this spooky PG movie showed us that when you build your house over a cemetery, there are grave consequences. So, fix a snack, don't go into the light, and make some noise for Poltergeist. Have you or any of your family ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? Poltergeist is a German word. Furniture toddles over, so poltergeist is a noisy ghost or noisy spirit. Vases may be shattered. There's no simple answer as to why these phenomena occur. At first, people are just puzzled by the phenomena. They can occur anytime, anyplace. Objects fly around by themselves. Fires may spontaneously break out. Hauntings and poltergeist incidents do not necessarily occur in old, dark, abandoned mansions. Okay. Hey, Kat. Hey, Marshall. So, between the two of us, you've got the more exciting thing to talk about, and you've been sitting on it for a while. Well, the most exciting horror thing that's ever happened to me happened to me since the last time we sat down. Okay, and I know that it happened to you, but I don't know... I don't know how this thing came about, so... Well, as you know, I'm a co-host of a little podcast called Boys and Ghouls. Hey, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And... I remember thinking of that title. (laughs) In addition to which... I, on my personal Facebook account, you know, I'm always posting horror things. I'm very internet vocal about how much I love, like, all things spooky and Halloween and, you know. So anyone who knows me in any kind of way, tertiary, like, oh, that's girl. What's the first thing you think of? Blonde. Okay. Or Wears glasses. No. Spooky. Yeah. Spooky. So anyway, I was Facebook friends with this guy who, and neither one, we've since talked about it. No idea how we became Facebook friends. I mean, we have mutual friends. <laughs> but, just sort of showed up. Well, yeah, it's one of those things on where account. I think he thinks I friended him and I think he friended me and whatever. We just were on each other's radar as far as all I knew about him was that he worked in LA in some form in the entertainment industry. I think I, I, I was like, I see red carpet things on his Facebook Red carpet meaning? He covers red carpet events, sort of things like that. But that was all I'd heard. So I get a Facebook message from him, this person I've never met in real life. Thank God for the future and the internet sometimes. Right. Because he just says, hey, do you want to interview Kimberly Pierce, who directed the new Carrie, and get blood dumped on you? This is totally legit. It's with the studio. Just let me know. And I immediately wrote him back and I was like, absolutely. Absolutely. Now details, you know, I was just like, yes, I commit. I agree. Yes, whatever it is, please tell me. So the company that he works for, it's called Red Carpet Report. And they cover all kinds of stuff. And they do press junkets. And they'll actually cover red carpet. And they have, you know, girls they'll bring in as hosts. And anyway, he'd gotten an invitation. Come cover this thing. It's the DVD Blu-ray release of Carrie Mm -hmm. 2013. So they're doing an event to promote it. Your person can come interview Kimberly Pierce and participate in a prom scene blood dump directed by Kimberly Pierce. And so he's like, who could, hmm, this chick who's always posting bloody things on Facebook. Maybe she'll be interested. 
And he was right. And I said, yes. So that's kind of a long story. But yeah, no. And then within like a week's time or something, I was showing up and I brought my junior year prom dress. That was a question I had. Okay. So I, I, I have seen the footage of you being blood dumped. Yeah. A la Carrie. Yep. And you were wearing a prom dress. I didn't know if they provided that for you. No. Could, I was... could you have just shown up in regular interviewer clothes? Yes. The way that Fox Home Entertainment had set this up, because they were promoting the DVD Blu-ray release, was they sent out the information, here's what you need to know. Wear whatever you want. Be aware that it will get messed up if you participate in the blood dump. We will provide sure. like kind of hazmat type plastic suits if you want them like to protect you. And I was just sure. like... Who, who's going to do that? That's so stupid. Um, <laughs> Who would pass up this opportunity? Yeah. So my immediate thought was, well, if they're letting us know we can wear whatever we want, I'll try to find something at Goodwill that like looks like the dress from the movie. And then I had a flash of inspiration. I have a couple of my prom dresses still, and I keep them on hand in case like I'm doing background work and they need mm-hmm. formal wear or whatever. I rented my tuxedo. I still have the shoes. Wow. They still fit. There you They're go. My, uh, my, See? my dressy shoes. So I didn't really have my prom dresses for nostalgia purposes. Like I, I mean, I, I love them, but you I thought. You took them across the country. Yeah. That prom was in North Carolina. That's right. But I thought, you know what? I cannot think of a better way to ruin this dress. And so I pulled it out and I showed up. I even went and bought a corsage. Oh, I did. Corsaged yourself. I did. And a tiara. (laughs) Right. Did you keep the tiara on during the interview? Yeah. I had my corsage, my dress, my tiara on for the interview. And Kimberly Pierce was highly amused. There were other girls who wore it. There was one girl who wore a dress, but it was kind of the idea that I would have done had I gone to Goodwill. And there were a couple people who had regular clothes on and a tiara or regular clothes, bouquet of roses. Just trying to add a little flair. Sure. But I far and away went the farthest. Put you over the top. Every yeah, my whole the whole thing. I mean, everybody was smiling at me all day, going, "Oh my god, you really took this seriously." And I was like, "Yes, I did." I'd like to think that uh, you would have been happy if like someone just had a surprise party for you mm-hmm. and dump blood on you just for a surprise. Oh God, yes, absolutely. And you know, and you would have been like just like Carrie. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you got to dress up in a prom dress, yeah, it was crazy. After I interviewed Kimberly Pierce, I went over to, it was just kind of like an assembly line. It was a press junket. I mean, I think there were like 12 of us who got to do this. Mm-hmm. So they ushered me over. It was all very efficient. They had big tarps and they would roll it up after it was over and for, ready for the next person. But yes, you are absolutely right. Carrie played a big part in my childhood. I even talked to my mom. Like, I was telling her how important the book was to me because I read it when I was so young. I was like, God, Mom, I think I was like eight or nine when I read the book because my mother had and still has a shelf full of nothing but Stephen King books. She's a member of the book club. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Carrie's a smaller book and whatever. And so I'm like, I must have just grabbed it and gravitated towards it. She goes, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, you were so eager to read when you were a kid. And, you know, I I just figured that one would be, you know, a little more accessible to you is just because of the things it was about. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on, mother. Are you telling me that your nine-year-old daughter was saying she wanted to read one of the Stephen King books and you picked out Carrie for me and handed it to me? She's like, well, yeah, I figured, you know, it's about a girl. And I was like... This explains a lot. (laughs) I will never get over that. I didn't realize she'd kind of like given it to me. He hadn't written The Girl Who Loves Tom Gordon yet. Yeah. So that at the time was probably the most accessible Stephen King story for a young lady. Yeah, sure. And I mean, it totally shaped me. So big day, amazing thing for me. Okay. Now for the listeners at home, because in the film Carrie, Mm -hmm. she doesn't say, wow. That felt like dot, dot, dot. Yeah. She just goes into like a psychokinetic rage. That's right. 
Cat, uh-huh. what's it feel like having all that, I'm assuming, Kara syrup it was. Uh-huh. dumped on you? It was really heavy and really cold. I mean, you can see, I mean, I, this was not my first rodeo. I've been covered in fake blood not, not many, many height. times. That's that's right. So the shocking part, number one, if you watch the video, and by the way, if you're, you can go on the Boys and Ghouls page and find this video if you're listening and you haven't seen it yet. They show it in slow-mo of me getting dumped, but... When, it, when they show it in real time, I mean, you can mm-hmm. see how violently it hits. It comes down fast. So what was shocking was, I mean, it kind of smacked me in the head and kind of knocked me a little forward. Just really, really heavy and really cold. It was a lot of blood all at once. It, it was a dream. <laughs> I will never be able to express how exciting it was for me. For awesome. so many reasons. Hey, Kat. Hey, Marshall. All right, everybody. Well, you're listening to uh, Boys and Ghouls. And this episode, we are dedicating to three films, but really one film. Poltergeist. La, 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 la. Right? Something yes. like that? I it's think that's a Carol, Carol Ann's lullaby. Carol Ann's lullaby. Mm-hmm. Which they play during like the last good five minutes of their life. Yeah. And, well, then, and then things start going kind of funny. Yeah. They play it a little bit throughout. It's peppered. And it's in the second film as well. Not in the third. They had a different composer in the third film. So 1982's Poltergeist. Let's say somebody has chosen to listen to a podcast about the film Poltergeist, but has not actually seen the film Poltergeist. <laughs> uh... Why do we care? Why do we care? What's it about? What, what drew us in and, and what has made it a, a notable horror film? Yeah. Rather than a, you know, there's a lot of horror films in 82 that no one really talks about anymore. Yeah, I think I read that what? Poltergeist was the, like, eighth highest grossing film of the entire year of 82. Let alone, I mean, you know, the highest grossing horror film. Like, it was a big deal. Sure. But as far as just the entirety of film went for that year, it did really well. It's a haunted house film. Oh! It- it is a core. haunted person film. Turns out. Because... But that person doesn't get out of the house much. Right. But what Tangina, or maybe it's the paranormal researcher, the lady, she kind of reiterates or, or explains to us that, you know, a ghost haunts a house, but a poltergeist tends to haunt a person. That's what's okay. explained to us. Anyway, not, to, gonna call not it to split hairs. A but haunted house movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, because what it does is it took the haunted house genre and... I want to say, like, it kicked it up a notch, but it almost didn't in the sense, it, it more what it did, and in its strength was, it grounded it. Yeah. Because... At least the beginning of the film. <laughs> yeah. Its setting grounded it, and, and maybe you could say that the people involved grounded it. The actors, I'd say the care spent cultivating their characters grounded and it. The characters, because, like, previous to this, and still after it, it didn't, it didn't change the whole genre, but haunted houses were big... Creepy, Victorian. Gothic. Gothic, dilapidated, old. Old. More often than not. And it doesn't get any any newer than this house. Yeah, this is a new house. Yeah. Like reasonably new. It's like five years new. It's a new housing development. It doesn't have any uh, gothic trappings. There's no Spanish moss. 
There's not even anything that creaks. There's no like creepy basement. And another thing to separate it from other haunted house movies is no attic. Right. There are no scenes. Um, yeah, they could have an attic. They never really say. There's no attic to go discover old photographs or clues in. Yeah. <laughs> the only old thing is that tree. Yeah. The tree outside the window that the little boy's afraid of that ends up taking him. <laughs> yes. From Steven Spielberg, director of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Poltergeist. This movie was produced by Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Co-written. Uh, co-written. He was very active in the filming of it. Yeah. There's a whole, you can go down a whole rabbit hole of who really directed yeah. Poltergeist. And after you read enough of it, as I have to prepare for this, because Toby Hooper of Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. is the director of it. Right. Spielberg was definitely a hands-on producer. Mm-hmm. And eventually you will walk away from this, if you're anything like me, with a sort of, um, not exactly who cares, but you just become more accepting of the idea that there were two creative forces on yeah. the film. Well, it seems to me that no matter what the truth is, yeah. at least on paper, it kind of had to be what it was because Steven Spielberg was contractually not allowed to direct Poltergeist. He yeah, had it in because... his contract. He was working on E.T. He could not be actually directing, doing something that active on yeah. another film that summer. or you know, the... So he concentrated on E.T. So on paper, he even released... Or, or wrote an open letter to a, Toby Hooper. A public apology. That was basically... For misleading in a, an interview. Yeah, he was very diplomatic in which he said, you know, I really appreciate the fantastic work you did directing this film, just saying you directed it, but said, you know, I hope people can appreciate the unique creative relationship we had. But, you know, you mm-hmm. listen to people like Zelda Rubenstein and several other people have made very blatant public statements about just saying absolutely... To, Steven Spielberg was there every time I was there. Toby Hooper was in the backgrounds, you know, so you hear people adamantly and vehemently stating their case for either, and it's, you know, at the end of the day. Who contributed what to Poltergeist? The world may never know, but... And Marshall and Kat may never care. (laughs) May never care. We know that there were at least two very creative people at work on it, to say nothing of the special effects crew and Jerry Goldsmith and everybody else that makes this collaborative art effective. Yep. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Put it on a statue. <laughs> if you want to go very, very beginning. Oh, right. The, oh, we do have to talk about the beginning of the like movie. Like the actual... The actual beginning of the film. Press play, start of the film. Yeah. Starts on the national anthem. Ugh. <sighs> Which, so so scary. Then, right. well, the, it starts. Yes, with I mean, the f- and it's really zoomed in on on the TV, yeah. so you can see the individual pixels. Yeah. Which this is also like a ghost story in the electronic age. Nobody ever uses like a bag of bones or an amulet. Well, not in this movie. To fight the ghosts, it's either fight them with love, or track them with camcorders and heat sensors and things. Yeah. But there's no Ouija boards or anything like this. So this is a modern ghost story. Yeah. Starting with the TV. Right. And this is in the still in the time period where the TVs would sign off. The the broadcast would sign off at the end of the night. Whenever two in the morning, three in the morning, when did that happen? D- what well, depends. Um which which brings me to one of my more favorite subjects for a moment, as you know, I'm never too far away from talking about horror hosts. Of course. 
which is, this was 82. Uh-huh. In, I want to say, 84, the legislation was passed that said, because before that, there was a law saying you had to have so much content for so many commercials. You had to have, like, 20 minutes of content for 40 minutes of commercials, or maybe it's the other way around. Yeah. So that's how you got horror hosts, because they just had all these old movies, and who's going to host these old movies? You got the horror hosts. So you had people like, welcome to Creature Feature, and we're going to show you three horror movies that'll take you till like, four in the morning. Yeah. When they changed the law, that gave way to infomercials. Uh-huh. So once infomercials came in, two things went out. One, horror hosts. Yeah. Two, sign-offs. End-of-the-night sign-offs. Which, according to the history books, yeah, it just meant if you were seeing the National Anthem on your TV, it was really late at night, and if you're alone... You no longer have the TV to keep you company. You're by yourself. Oh, yeah. You got to deal with the scary noises that are coming. Yes. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. What happens next is static, which is another thing. (sighs) That was, that's what happened, right? The the snow, yes. TV didn't go black. It was. It would go to static. It would go to color bars is more what it did when I was a youth. Mm Mm-hmm. Or the Indian head. The Indian head. For some reason, there was an Indian head test pattern, and I don't know why an Indian head. Yeah. Or you could get static, which, for the purposes of this movie, puts like a strobe on the whole room, like a spooky strobe. And I don't know if anybody thought of static before as being particularly scary. But they sure as hell did now, after this movie. Yeah. It makes me wonder if I would be as spooked watching VHS, VHS 2, where there are like the banks of the TVs, where there's snow on several of them, which is an eerie sight to Mm. me. But it makes me wonder if I would consider that as eerie a sight had I never seen Poltergeist. Just saying. Watching Static is a rather unnatural act. Uh-huh. Right? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah? Why would anyone sit there and watch Static? And that's why when Carol Ann goes oh, up to the God. static and watches the static. And talks to the static. And talks to the static. The act of looking at static for more than 10 seconds means you, like, you've had a heart attack or you've gone quite mad. Yeah. So it is an, an unnerving sight for anyone to pay attention to static. And just that moment in the film when the rest of the family's asleep... And she's sitting up by herself and she's not scared. She's not bothered by it. Yeah. Like, honestly, there's not, I'm going to, there is not much about this film that scares me. It, sure. it becomes kind of the, benign. It's a, it's, it's a PG rated film. It is. It is. The fantastic elements of the film take me out of being truly spooked for mm. most of it. This opening scene, though, petrifies me. Like, still, now. Bye. So we are welcomed into the home of this family. Just to center us, there's a mom and a dad, Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams. Mm -hmm. There's a 16-year-old daughter. There is a, what, 13-year-old son, maybe? 11? Uh, Younger, yeah. And Carol Ann, who's five. So, yeah, and we see this early scene in the film where the parents are, are just charming and cutting it loose and laughing and fun with a each little other. high. Now, I, I would like to say um, it's not that she's the free spirit and he's the button down. No, definitely not. But they are doing the responsible parents who smoke drugs thing of only one gets high at a time. See, that didn't even occur to me. I just, I, I assumed they were both smoking it, but no, I guess I wasn't paying close it. enough attention. She smokes it. He picks up a book about Ronald Reagan. Wow. And then when the kid comes in, 
he takes care of the kid. That's right. He does. Because she's all, hi. Yeah. I think that if we had caught them on like a different weekend. He'd be the one. He'd be the one smoking. (laughs) She'd be reading her uh, Joan Collins book because it was the 80s. Sure. And then he'd just be uh, rambling on about something and staring at the ceiling fan. But... (laughs) But tonight was uh, Joe Beth Williams' it was, turn. It was her that's, turn. That's how I picture it. It's and so charming. So this family is beset upon by all this weird stuff that starts happening, which at first Diane, Joe Beth Williams' character, is totally enamored with and can't imagine, like, what's going on? And she's fascinated. But the tables turn fairly quickly, or or it becomes... When the tree comes and tries to take their son. Yeah. The tree pulls him out of the window. Is only to get everyone out of the house while they go after what they're really after. Carol Ann. Carol Ann. Who gets sucked in like a vortex into the closet. Yeah. And into the other side. The other side. Which is incidentally the um, subtitle to the second film. Correct. And that one's a little, you know, this film was watched by several children over the years, you know, around the time it came out or definitely when it came to cable. Mm -hmm. And it's got Carol Ann just kind of like hanging onto the headboard as the, the vortex sucks in everything in the room. Nightmare fuel Into for kids. The, yeah. I mean. And then she's just. Yeah. Now, speaking of its PG rating. PG-13 uh, did not exist it did, yet. It didn't exist at the time. But I would imagine it would have gotten a PG-13 rating. Definitely. With, when, what with the drug use and the, um, yeah. you know, just all out terror. But it was also pointed out to me, nobody dies in this movie. Mm-mm. Nobody dies in part two either. Nope. Part three jumps the shark in a lot of ways. Yeah. And uh, one of the ways it lets you know that they're not really sticking to the exact tones is people start dying. Yeah. Well, this house is full of ghosts. This is... (laughs) Come quick. So, plot-wise, all this crazy stuff's happened. They've hired in these investigators. Oh, they show up at the house. They're like... We once saw a matchbox car move six feet. And, mm-hmm. and the dad's like, yeah, super. Opens Neat. up. Neat. That's that's charming. <laughs> yeah. And and like, and there's just a vortex of children's toys. Yeah. And everything's flying around the room. That was something. The effects were kind of funny. Yeah. The stronger points were when they were still using practical effects. And like, like when the room was, when she was going up the wall. And then I guess you can call it a, a mix of practical effects and, and whatever they're up to at the time. Which is when, well, the ghosts come down the stairs. Yeah. That looks pretty cool. And then all this old jewelry starts falling from a a portal. Somewhere above their heads. Somewhere above their heads in the living room. And they never said as much. And I thought they were going to, but I guess I just made it up in my head. Which is, to me, and I'd like your opinion on this. Oh, sure. This is after they've taken Carol Ann. Then all this old jewelry starts falling out. And you get the impression that's the jewelry they were buried with. Oh, yeah. And then that's them trying to trade for Carol Ann. Oh, I didn't even think about it that way. That's kind of how I've always thought about it. <sighs> like, they take Carol Ann, and they're like, here's a Here. bunch of watches and necklaces. Now we're square. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Interesting. Well, they have nothing else to offer yeah. to, to mortals, except for, like, the jewelry they were buried with. That is a new kind of disturbing. It's very odd. I like it. 
And then in a dream sequence, which I'm kind of glad it's a dream sequence because otherwise it's kind of presumptuous to just take somebody's steak. Yeah. Okay, he is working for free, but still. I don't want the next day somebody to be like, hey, I was saving that steak. Yeah. One of the researchers goes to the kitchen to make himself something to eat. Yeah. Takes a steak, sets it out, starts moving on its own. It crawls across the counter. Crawls across the counter. Maggots! And then he goes into the bathroom. To vomit. To vomit and starts pulling off his own face. I mean, you know one of my buttons is uh, self-mutilation. I do. So that for me, and when I saw it as a youth, it was yeah. just like, stop ripping your face. It's awful. And it goes on for so long. It keeps cutting between it's, the, it's, the gore that he's dropping into the sink yeah. and his face as he's pulling it off. It's and it goes ultimate, on for a long time. The ultimate don't pick at that. Yes. Don't pick at but that. But he keeps doing it. Stop picking at that. Yeah. But that scene, I was completely shocked at what was happening. I was like, what? This guy's ripping off his face. Yeah, that scene was, it seems out of place in a lot of ways because that's not something that the poltergeist does very much at all in the rest of the film, which is like try to spook somebody by showing them like a glamour of yeah. some kind. Uh, it also, well, whenever there's a dream sequence, in most horror films that aren't really about hallucinations or dream sequences, I feel tend to be just like they had a big empty spot where nobody died and nobody got scared. And for something to actually, actually happen won't fit mm-hmm. with whatever's happening in the movie. Yeah. So a dream sequence or a hallucination will get kind of thrown in just to keep the audience on their toes. A if, scene like that in the second film that maybe the braces sequence sure. felt that way to me okay, in part yeah. two. It's effective, but it's ultimately usually padding. Yeah. yeah. Good, good padding in this case. The guy pulling his face off was really, really scary to me. But I was confused by it. I was like, wait, this doesn't seem like it fits here, but I am petrified. So... Now, Tangia. <gasps> because he splits. K-Lion! We've well established that, yes, there is a, a haunting here. Time to call in the big guns. Yeah. And the big guns comes in the form of a small package, <laughs> which is the pint-sized Zelda Rubenstein. Yeah. Playing Tangia. Tangina. Tangina. The real deal psychic. Yeah. Whereas the other guys work off of theories and science and instruments. She's got the touch. Do you mind hanging back? You're jamming the frequencies. This gave me the opportunity to learn a couple things about her. I mean, she's always held a special place in my heart from watching the Poltergeist films as a kid. Plus, she's in that. God, yes. (laughs) I was in love with that film, too. And she popped up in... Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, and was excellent in that film, which I think came out in like 2006 or something. And doing this podcast gave me a reason to look her up. She's one of those who didn't decide to start pursuing acting until she was much older. Mm. So she was 45 years old. It was 1978 before she decided to start trying to act. Okay. She worked... As a lab technician in blood banks, she had scientific training. That's what she did. Neat. She decided to be an actor. The other in thing, blood banks. the other thing that I love that I didn't know, and I think is just nice and worth mentioning, she was one of the first celebrities to contribute to AIDS awareness. Very hmm. early on, she lent her voice and tried to promote awareness and raising money for, for AIDS research. The dates certainly line up as far as her receiving national attention yeah. and the rise of AIDS. And I really, I just liked that. I didn't, I never read that about her. Everybody knows who she was, but 
Mm. Not really. So I thought that was worth mentioning. Yay, Zelda. But she shows up. She's just delightfully spooky and knowledgeable. She's and... the first one to let us know about the beast. Mm-hmm. The beast, which... So this isn't like a series of ghosts all working independently. This is all being orchestrated by some single entity. Yes. The beast. What is that? Time for some brave action. Yeah. And that brave action is to send one of the parents into... The other side. The other side. So they throw mom in to get Carol Ann. And she's on a rope. The dad's got to hold the rope. And I wrote down the note. Couldn't have put down some pillows, by the way, when she came out of the thing? Listen, they don't have time they for those the They got the rope. They got the tennis concerns. balls. They couldn't have thrown down like a stack of dirty laundry just for them to, to land on. Because they know there was like a nine foot drop out of that vortex. That's a good point. Onto the living room floor. Yeah. During which they're covered with what I would later learn in Ghostbusters Ectoplasm? to be. Ectoplasm? Ectoplasm. <laughs> kind of yeah. all gooped up in ectoplasm. Yep. And it's pink. It's they, gross. It's <laughs> ectoplasm. <laughs> they got the daughter back. The mom's got some uh, gray streaks in her hair. She looks like Rogue. Yeah. And they're like, we're moving. <laughs> and so, you know, like, I don't know, a couple of weeks pass. Everything's kind of back to normal. Carol Ann doesn't really remember very much. And they believe the house is pretty much fine. But why not just get the heck out of there? And uh, just hours before they're ready to leave, the ghosts and the beasts come back for one last try. The clown. Now, boy, this kid. <laughs> Robbie. Robbie's just collateral damage. All they're yeah. really after is Carol Ann. But to get at her, they've got to get him out of the way. Yeah. Uh, so first a tree tries to get him. And then the clown comes after him, which a lot of this has been Spielberg's own childhood. Growing up in a housing development, very suburban, nuclear family. And there was also a tree that used to scare him. And a clown toy that used to scare him. Yeah. And both of these get employed. And now it's time for him to get attacked by his own clown doll. Yipes. And that's when we get the room on a gimbal. Yeah. The mom gets sucked up. These sequences will make uh, Scary Movie 2 that much funnier if you've never seen it. <laughs> oh, God. And then the mom's got to do battle with the beast. That's right. The goal being to get the kids out of the house, really. Yeah. A few important things happen. One, out in the pool that's being dug out in the backyard, the mom has to go into it. And there's all these corpses start coming yeah. out. Real skeletons, real skeletons, as we know. Meaning, like, no, in real oh, life. Oh, oh, yeah, in real no, life. No, if you're if you're listening to our podcast and you do not know this, it was decidedly cheaper to, back in the day, back in the day, for everybody to, to, for everybody to purchase, you know, real live skeletons than it was to buy stuff that was made out of plastic or whatever. So people purchased real human remains, skeletons. which actually Joe Beth Williams, the stories go, like she was not upset about that what she was worried about during the pool scenes because it was raining was yeah. being in the water around all that electrical equipment so steven spielberg climbed in the water with her and said look if you get electrocuted i'm getting electrocuted and she was like okay let's do the scene <laughs> works for so, me but yeah she falls into the pool and all these bodies start popping up and truly this stuff the and stuff some of them with coffins. Yes. Sometimes so, the coffins will bloop, bob up out of the water, and then just fly open. I mean, ugh, And the none, stuff none of them the... are really that mobile. No. They're more just a bunch of skeletons kind of falling on her. I find that so disturbing. But still. Yeah. Almost more disturbing than if they, like, were mobile. I don't know why. But there's something about... It's very spook house of, like, <laughs> Like, it's just something flying at your face. If enough skeletons dogpile you. Yeah. She could have drowned. Well, and also, and not just the pool stuff, but also they're in the house a little bit later during the scene and they're coming up out of the floor. Like there are coffins bursting up out of the floor oh, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. popping open in her face. Because there is no basement. 
Right. And like Craig T. Nelson comes back to the house and he's at the front door and she's like inside the house. She's like, help me. And like a coffin pops up between them and like, right. Right. I mean, I will can never get enough. It's so scary and so good and so classic horror. It doesn't get much more classic than a body popping up in front of you. So to wrap up the film, the house disappears. The house disappears. In a, a, a very good and practical special effect, for the most part. Uh huh. Done with like a, a miniature and like vacuum tubes and like literal shotguns. I think yeah. people actually shot the model of the house as it was imploding. And previous to the house disappearing, Craig T. Nelson gets to yell at his boss. Yeah. This son of a bitch, you moved the cemetery, but you left the bodies, didn't you? Yeah, so he yells at the boss. The family makes their way to the hotel. And a nice little ending, which the movie had a lot of good little funny moments in it. You could tell someone really went through and gagged it up a little bit. Yeah. Especially in the earlier scenes, which is they decide to take the TV and push it out into the hallway. That's right. And that's where the movie ends. Okay, Marshall, let's talk about Poltergeist 2, the other side. Back in part one, they refer to the beast, but they certainly don't get into the idea if it had a backstory or not. Yeah. And I'd say one of the um, better parts of part two is giving him a backstory. Rather than just being this generic beast monster, Mm -hmm. what really happened was that the bodies that were not moved were part of a religious cult. Uh... Actually, you had the houses, right? Uh-huh. And under the houses was a cemetery. Oh, this but was like under a the cave cemetery type of thing. was a cave with yeah. bodies still in it. So it wasn't really the, the cemetery. Yeah, people. I mean, they they got involved, right? But I'd say the main what a ghosts, coincidence if it wasn't the cemetery. <laughs> a cemetery built on top of a mass grave, right? Which then got built on top of. And the mass grave in this cave was a group of cult followers. you might say. Yeah. Back in the 1800s, who were led by the cult leader, a man named Cain, who is... The the old preacher. Yeah. Who were making, by pilgrims, they were making a pilgrimage to California, and then they felt that, like, the end of the world was coming. Yeah. So they all got in the cave. No, he was preaching to them, the end of the world's coming, get in the cave with me. And the time came and went... That but he, he said was gonna, let them leave. and they said, "Hey, this doesn't seem right. The world hasn't ended. Doesn't let them leave. They all died or down did there. end up there, and they're like, let 'Let's go, uh, let's go back up.' And he's like, "No, my children, yeah. stay with me.' And so they all died in the cave. You can't keep her. I am not there. Carol Ann and family are now staying with Diane's mother because mm-hmm. their house doesn't exist anymore it got it went away and they're trying to convince the insurance company to give them money for the house yeah. and the insurance company's saying well the house disappeared it, it's it not te- it wasn't it's damaged missing it's missing so they're, they're waiting on their insurance money but they're trying to be happy as a family they and they mm-hmm. are they're doing a good job you know they still love each other they're it's tough yeah. but they're making it True. and you do learn that diane's mom grandma is a bit of a clairvoyant kind of, you know, she's got the touch herself yeah. and she talks to Carol Ann about it. 
But weird stuff starts happening. Carol Ann sees this scary looking person. Like he's barely not a skeleton. Julian Beck, the actor oh, okay, who plays yeah. Kane. She sees him an old at the mall. Who just passes for not a ghost. Yeah. So Tangina senses that something's wrong and sends kind of an emissary who is uh, a Native American gentleman. From One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That's right. The actor's name is... Will Sampson? Will Sampson. So she sends him along to kind of guard Carol Ann. And the movie moved really slowly for me. But Mm -hmm. I did like that Kane comes to knock on their door and kind of just carries a rainstorm with him. I think that's absolutely... Just so spooky. And that whole scene where he's trying to get into the house yeah. and he's trying, he's talking to Craig T. Nelson, you know, you don't understand then any time you got to let me in. Based and he's like, no. On his insistence on being let in, you then have to figure there must be some kind of rule about <laughs> letting him in. Right. That hasn't been established, but you're like, well, if he really, really wants in, there must be some kind of like, he has to be invited in Which- kind of. Yeah. As long as their love is strong, he cannot take her. So he's got to work on them for a while. Yeah, which really, he really does. He tries to break them, them apart. And tries to say, like, there's an Indian in your house. and You can't trust him. They're relying on the Indian more than you. You're not a man in your own house. And um, that may be part of what they say, like, he knows your weaknesses. Yeah. So that's one weakness. His other weakness is tequila. What, what's tequila? It's like beer. So he's got a bottle of tequila with the worm right at the bottom, which he offers to... Samson? His name's Taylor. Taylor? Yeah, the character. And he says, no, I stopped drinking years ago. And he also warns Craig T. Nelson, keep your family close. If, you know, you need to maintain your love, it'll try to break your bond apart. And this Mm -hmm. is a running theme. You got to give it to the franchise for consistency. So Craig T. Nelson, in getting drunk, kind of sets himself apart. And one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen on film happens... Thank you, H.R. Geiger. Because here's what happened. Julian Beck died. Julian Beck died before he could finish. He was diagnosed with cancer before accepting the role. Yeah. Just he, as, he was sick. Just as something that you can look at his performance and go, wow. He's absolutely he's very effective. terrifying. He's very scary. In the absence of Julian Beck, they had to come up with something else. They called in H.R. Geiger, who did The Vomit Monster. H.R. Geiger did The Alien yeah, in Aliens. Aliens. So in, in the start... The monster, let's just say, is possessing the worm at the bottom of the tequila, which gets drank. Yep. And then enters Craig T. Nelson. The dad then gets possessed by Kane. Yeah. So for a little while, he's the... Um, that was a pretty spooky scene, too. Yeah. He's kind of attacking way, Diane. As soon as Kane gets himself into a body, it's time it's to ask for some sex. It's time. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, this isn't you. What are you doing? And then he vomits out. Yes. In grand fashion, the most disgusting... I mean, this monster is terrifying. It's not just me, right? It's yeah, no. really well, petrifying. Take, take a tequila worm. Yeah. Add what H.R. Geiger can do to it. Plus the Come, face of Julian Beck. With the face of Julian Beck. That's what they and did. And then squeeze it out of Craig T. Nelson. Yeah. And that's why they call it the vomit monster. The monster does not vomit himself, but is rather vomited The up. product of vomit. And then gets really, really big. It's, it's really gross and scary. You know what? If you've got a setback, like a cast member dies, and you've got to think up something to replace. Yeah. Uh, good job. No kidding. Because I, I don't know what they had planned, but it probably couldn't have been as unsettling. Yeah. As the vomit monster. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> so they, you, you want to wrap it up for the movie? They all go to... 
the other side mm-hmm. as a family to get Carol Ann. So Carol Ann comes back with the family. Everything's happy and shiny. And this time, I wrote down, no ectoplasm. Nope. They come back from the other side, ectoplasm free. The one thing I will say about the movie that made me laugh out loud and throw my notebook into the air and walk out of the room and just say, I, 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 can't, I quit. Good thing it's the end of the movie because I quit. Is it the happy car? It's the happy car. You got to end it up. Well, it's just, it was so stupid. What I'm referring to with happy car is that earlier in the film, the Native American says to Craig T. Nelson, your car is sad. I will work on it. Make it happy. And he's like, okay. And I remember writing down like happy car. Like this is the dumbest scene. I wrote that down. So then when the end of the movie comes... For the button. And I said out loud, I swear to God, if he says something about that car, if that is the button for this movie, if that is the end, I, get, I, so I quit. And it was. When, when he, he gave he him, gave the, him car, the car. Which, okay. Give but, me the car, I'll make it happy. And then they're like, what? Wait, we need a ride. Come back, come back. And, and it's it, the family and Tangina running after, after Taylor. For a ride. And uh, so I assume you put your uh, foot through the TV and could not watch part three? Nope. That didn't happen. Okay. I watched part three. Our next movie is named Poltergeist 3, and this is one of those movies you cannot possibly endure if you have even the smallest shred of common sense. Not that if you had such a shred, you would have gone to the movie in the first place. 1988 rolls around and gives us Poltergeist 3. We're back! Coming back to revisit part three, I was scared because I was scared, number one, I watched the movie a lot as a kid, and it scared the crap out of me. Number two, I was scared that it would be really bad, and that it wouldn't be good like I remembered. It would, it would tarnish your yeah. formerly, I'm guessing, pretty happy memories of yeah. watching this movie over and over. So I sat down and said out loud, I'm, I'm determined to like this movie. Now, take me back in time here. Yeah. Did you have it on VHS? I... I don't know if we owned it on VHS. If not, we rented it many times. I realize in watching it that I've seen it so many times. I was really familiar with this movie, watching it again. And this is the first time I've watched it as an adult. It's probably the first time I've seen it since I was 12 years old. What elements have returned from Poltergeist 3? <clears throat> Carol Ann, Tangina. And Tangina, and that's about Kane, it. Kane, but it's Kane's not back. Julian Beck. It's, it's actually two people. It's uh, one person with prosthetics to look like a, an old man which they do a so-so job, as far as looking like a specific old man. Right. And someone else does his voice. That's right. Carol Ann's a little older now. She's been sent to Chicago to go to a special school to for live. kids like her, meaning kids who are gifted in some way or special. And she's living with her uncle. So the, the idea is... And his family. They didn't just abandon Carol Ann and send her off to relatives. Right. She's only supposed to be there for a few months while she attends this school that should be good for her. Carol Ann is staying with her uncle and her uncle's brand new wife. They've been married like a year. The uncle's daughter, who is her cousin, played by Laura Flynn Boyle. The the Mm -hmm. uncle is Tom Skerritt, who's great. I think he's one of the best things about this movie. Objectively. Like, there are things I love about this movie that aren't good things. But Tom Skerritt is good, I think. Nancy Allen plays the stepmom character. And Tom Skerritt, his company is... He's like the building manager. Building, yeah. And Nancy Allen runs an art gallery inside the building. 
Now, in the uh, conception of this movie, I can't help but think that somebody said like, okay, well, what was the first one? Haunted House. It's a sequel. We got to get bigger. Uh, literally. What's, what's bigger than a haunted house? And instead of increasing the haunting, they increased the house. And it's now a skyscraper. It's a skyscraper with a mall and an art gallery. It's and the Hancock Building in Chicago. This skyscraper is highly uh, decorated with mirrors. And those mirrors come into play as the venue? Conduit. Uh, avenue? Avenue. By which, avenue, sure. Or conduit by which the spirits choose to move about and enter uh-huh. our world. I still think that some of that stuff is just the eeriest stuff I've seen in any film. Yeah, it's, it's very the well The mirror done. stuff, like where characters will be walking down a hallway and there are mirrors on either side and you're seeing things in one set of mirrors that aren't happening in the other set. Yeah. That is so terrifying. That sat really deeply with me as a kid. I was really afraid of mirrors. You would, you would just see like a series of canes just opening up a door. One door after another and looking after oh, yeah. the person that's and then walking by. closing the doors. <gasps> so scary. And it's very effective very body effective. doubles. Very effective, yeah. Like, like there's some shots that go on for a while, and you're like, well, that can't be a body double this whole time. And then it is! There's a scene where, like, Tom Skerritt's character is talking to Nancy Allen in the mirror, and then, like, he turns and walks away, but yeah. his mirror him doesn't move quite yet, and she's, like, turning around like, huh? So, so scary! There's so many things wrong with this movie, but those things are so right are to effective. me. Um, I do want to say I think this film, because Carol Ann has a little bit more of a voice, literally and figuratively, like yeah, she's, she was five she's when the she focus. made the first movie. Yeah. So she's like, like eleven now. Yeah. She's got a lot more to say. But also, and I, I hate the scenes at school. It's so dumb. Like she's got this horrible headmaster and he doesn't believe her. He thinks she's manip she's a master at manipulating people into hallucinations, and that's how he explains the stuff that happens when she's around. He's just horrible. Which finally, after three movies, somebody dies. Yeah. And it's him. Thank God. They managed to kill nobody but a bird. Yeah. For like two films. And then this guy's just such a jerk. Yeah. But what I'm getting at with all of that is I think Maybe for me as a kid, I latched onto this film. Who knows why? Maybe it was just availability. Maybe I did own it. I'm not sure. But some of it is I think it gives kids a little bit more to hang on to. Not to mention the fact that I was a young, straight-haired, blonde child that I guess I just probably looked at and was like, oh, I... You were drawn to. Yeah. And was super scared because she's like alone in her room and something's calling out to her from her mirror and she puts her hands on the mirror and it grabs her. I mean, I'm sorry. What? How am I supposed to be alone in my room with a mirror ever again? <laughs> Said little girl cat. It uses too many scenes in which the characters incessantly cry out for oh, each other. Yes. Carol Ann! Carol Ann! Carol Ann! Finally, the night that I saw it, even the audience was joining in. Carol Ann! Carol Ann! Among the flaws of this film, I mean, unless there's mm-hmm. something I missed, it doesn't feel like we're given any real reason why Kane is now coming back for Carol Ann, other than maybe she's talked about him enough to where... She's drawn his attention to her energy slash she's getting a little bit too old and they're trying to get to her before she's not a kid anymore. I mean, it's just kind of... Let's say. This movie, plot-wise, is flawed. Character-wise, is flawed. But imagery-wise, I think I would watch this film again before I would watch either of the other two. And I know it's technically 
in every way the worst film. I do recognize that. Holds a special place in your heart? It does. I mean, and I don't think it's just because I saw it a lot when I was a kid. There were things about it I appreciated as an adult. All the effects. Laura um, Boyle crawling out of Tangina's corpse. That screaming. scene is crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, Tangina turning into a rotted corpse and then Laura Flynn Boyle bursting from her like she's being born and screaming. I think that's beautiful. There's there are just moments of this film that I really, really love. And then at the end, by the way, what happens to the boyfriend? He's just lost to the other side. That's it. She doesn't come back. I mean, she comes back. The family comes back and they're playing nice music. And it's like, oh, everybody who got taken is back now. Oh, poor guy. Well, that's really great. Wait, what about the boyfriend? Too late. We're done. The end. I didn't think about that. Yeah. he's. He was kind of annoying. Collateral damage. It's, it's fine. To reshoots. Yeah. Which um, Heather O'Rourke, whose name we haven't said enough. Yeah. We've just been calling her Carol Ann. Yeah. The actress died, I'm thinking, not during principal photography, but before they could do reshoots. Yeah. So the ending is a little choppy. There's probably a version where the boyfriend makes it just fine. Hmm. And this one ends with uh, Tangina saying, I can lead you into the light, and then does. But then, in a weird forced twist, lightning strikes the building, and you hear Kane laugh. And you're like, oh, so he's back? Yeah, I could have done without that. Who knows? Who knows why they needed a twist, but uh, fine. I guess they were leaving it open I, for a fourth if they wanted to. I even though work was, was dead by that point. Somehow. Well, they managed to do third without... Most of the, the rest cast. of the core family, so. All right. For a few reasons. I mean, should we talk about the... Um, the curse? The curse. The so-called curse. Sure, and I don't know when it started exactly, but mm-hmm. it was probably cemented with the death of O'Rourke. Yeah. Like, okay, first... Dominic um, Dunn first. Dominic yeah. Dunn first, and that was a violent death. Yes. And no one decided to call that a curse. Right, it was right just away. tragic. She had a boyfriend who was a really successful chef in Los Angeles, actually. Mm. He studied under Wolfgang Puck. I read an awful lot about this. Okay. I read a People magazine article from like 1983 or something, like it, like a year after she died. And he was very successful but had huge anger issues. He was really obsessive over her to the point I even read that he, he was harassing her about abortions he was sure that she had that she actually didn't have like he was psychotic Mm. um anyway she broke up with him changed the locks on their home he came back one day and strangled her and spent three years and some change in jail does not seem fair and is still alive somewhere he's changed his name he's out in the world let's hope he's got some meds in him yeah uh you and i actually found her grave quite by accident we were in the Westwood Memorial Cemetery, mm-hmm. like I like to do. Yep. And we were looking at like Marilyn Monroe's grave and Betty Page and Dean, Dean Martin. Martin. And then it was time to go get some pizza. Mm-hmm. And right next to where I'd parked my car, we were like, Dominique Dunn. Why is that name familiar? Yep. And they were like, oh, oh, oh. Did we see Heather O'Rourke? Because she's actually buried there too. And I don't think we saw her that day. I've never seen her ever. Apparently, I didn't even know she was buried there. She is, which I was reading that. How they were like, that? oh, they're both buried there. And I was like, well, I know we saw Dominique Dunn's grave. There are sections you, you really can't quite get to. Yeah. Maybe she's in one of those. Maybe or that. We didn't check out every single headstone. No. But okay. That's so for next time. So she was just tragic. And then the preacher dies. Yep. 
And it's like, well, he, he was cancer. So it's not a curse yet. And then Will Sampson died, and that's a little tragic. He was even yeah. younger. But then the very young, way before her time, 12-year-old Oof. O'Rourke dies of... They've gone back and forth. Let's just say it was Crohn's an, disease. It, it wasn't Crohn's disease. It they was mis- not <laughs> Crohn's disease. They misdiagnosed it as Crohn's disease for years and years and treated what, her for Crohn's disease. What are we up to She now? had congenital intestinal stenosis, which means she had a blockage in her intestines that was backing up her plumbing, as you described before on a different podcast we were on, yeah. that a lot of the papers said her plumbing. She... Died really technically of sepsis, which was just an intense infection in her body because her bowels were backed up. And if she hadn't been misdiagnosed for several years, if they someone had identified and figured out that it was a blockage in her intestines, they could have given her a simple surgery and she would have lived. But there was a lot of misdiagnosis. In fact, mm. her family sued Kaiser for Compounding overlooking the tragedy. it. Yeah. So tragic. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say it was... And this is only guesswork, but I'm just going to say that's when all the talk of the poltergeist curse started. Yeah. And if you're going to have to point to some uh, some hard science, they will point to um, the real skeletons used in the... Which, from what I've found out, real skeletons used to be such a huge thing. Yeah. That would have cursed just so about many movies. every movie <laughs> yeah. up to the 80s. Yeah. So there you go. If you're ever wondering... Debunked! If you're ever wondering about the uh, the poltergeist <laughs> curse, that's the meat and potatoes of it. They're here. Hmm? No, honey, they're not here. We uh, forgot to switch to DirecTV. So instead of watching our favorite channels in HD, we're stuck watching cable. Forgetting to switch to DirecTV? Yeah, that's going to come back to haunt me. Get three times more HD channels than cable. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV. All right. That really winds us down for uh, Poltergeist. We, we can just exit out of it by saying that there's supposed to be a reboot. They're working on it right now. I heard Sam Rockwell yeah. is attached. Which, I mean, honestly, I would watch him cook toast. And by cook toast, I mean toast toast. What I mean is... I don't care what Sam Rockwell does. I just want him to keep doing things, and I will watch them. I believe that, like every other reboot, no, the world doesn't need one. But can it be an effective movie? I say it can, because a lot of Poltergeist's potency was its relatability. Yeah. Making it more scary, and how it was a modern ghost story. To update something so it can resonate now with audiences of today who can't quite attach themselves to what it was like to be in the suburbs of 1982 i totally can yeah it still speaks to me yeah as much as et still speaks to me which was being made like almost concurrently yeah with this one then sure let us get a good ghost story in the age of the internet in the age of cell phones in the age of reality tv yep and i'll uh, take it and throw it under the poltergeist umbrella just so it gets a little buzz done Uh, i'll eat that worm (laughs) good (laughs) now Kat, you had an idea that the listeners should pick our topic. I did. I thought that could be fun. Right now, this is our February episode. Mm -hmm. If you want to pick our April topic, which means that between when this podcast drops, the 13th of February, February. Uh and the 1st of March, that'll be our deadline, you can get to us any topic suggestion. And then when we, we record our March episode, this shouldn't be complicated... 
uh, when we record our March episode, yeah. we will do a a drawing in which we will then learn what our next topic will be. Yeah. We'll uh, announce it in our March episode and then uh, tune in for our April episode for which will be who knows what. Yep. So, listeners, just send us your topic suggestion at uh, boysandghouls at gmail.com. Or you can feel free to write it to us on Facebook, private message it. You know what? Write it you on can our just Facebook post wall, it to our wall. Twitter. Yeah. If you're that proud. Any venue you want. Mm-hmm. If we pick your episode, Kat, I say we'll put together a little package of uh, stuff we find around our apartment. Sounds good. To <laughs> things that are easily mailed. Yeah. To send to this uh, lucky winner. Maybe a copy of my Halloween album from and last year that that I made with Alec. Don't be surprised if you get some plastic vampire teeth in the mail. So the bottom line is, let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about. Forget all, all, all these crazy dates, except for March 1st. Yep. Between whenever you're hearing this and March 1st, 2014, just send us your suggestions for a topic, and we will choose a suggestion randomly. Yeah. Out of perhaps a hat. Ooh. I don't want to... Get too ahead of myself, but I can score a hat between now and then. Yeah. And we'll do it. And it'll be fun. I'm excited. Okay, so do you want to give this contest a name? The first ever help your boy and your ghoul pick a topic. Game. Fun house. Name pending. (laughs) (laughs) DM. Trademark. (laughs) Yeah, so send it on into us. And as long as you're on the internet, you can, uh, like you said, follow us on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Check us out on Tumblr. Check us out on Pinterest. Twitter. Twitter. Instagram. Instagram. That's the big ones. Mm-hmm. So um, hope you're having a good month. If you're listening to this on the day it drops, uh, happy Valentine's Day. Aww. Right? And Cat, uh, as always. Beware the moon. Beware. Beware.